I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Do you miss it? Do you miss that thing, that activity, that that treat that you gave up for Lent? Maybe, maybe you gave up a practice. Maybe you decided to give up being cynical immediately. Maybe you gave up some food item that you were a little too dependent on. Whatever it was, Lent is almost over. Do you miss it? I find very often, and, and I find that I tend to give up the same things year after year because I do well for a while. I get to the end of Lent and I say, you know what? I don't need this. I have, I have come to realize that I am not dependent on this thing that I thought I really liked and really needed. So uh, whether that be a, a dessert or whether that be um, picking up a candy bar, going through the, the line of the grocery store or drinking a Dr. Pepper, which I tell you, for me, that really is kind of an addiction. Like uh, I, I would go and I'd have a, a couple of Dr. Peppers a day and we'd burn through a 24 pack in, in just about no time. And you know, I, I get to the end of Lent and I realize I don't need it. I feel better without it. And these things that kind of dominate uh, the grocery list or dominate my life, they're really not important. This year, I also gave up a, a specific game on my phone. Uh, well, no, <laughs> let's be honest. I did not. And I specifically said, I'm not going to give up this thing for Lent because it's really, it's not that big a deal. It's not taking too much time. But we had Dr. Uh, we had Dr. Maria Morrow on the show, and I thought, hey, this is a great idea. I'm going to go gray for Lent. So I turned my phone to gray, and it just because the, the, the grayness of the phone takes away all of the enticement of it and makes uh, the activity on the phone a little bit harder to do and a little bit more focused, I ended up saying, you know what? I really don't need this. I don't need the time. I can invest the time that I'm spending on this to deepen my relationship with God. And so that's what I've done. I've deleted the the game from my phone. And, and I'm pretty sure, I don't know if you want to join me or not, I'm pretty sure that I am going to keep up this Go Gray for Lent all year long. Uh, you know, you, you, I'm, if I take a picture with the phone, it's still going to show up in color when I put it on the computer. If I absolutely have to show someone when I'm out, show them the, the picture or show them something on the phone, I can always go to the settings and turn it back to color for a brief period of time and and then flip it. But I tell you, having gone gray for Lent, when I do that, when I show someone something on the phone and I switch the color back on, it is so uh, almost searingly bright that uh, that it's really kind of a comfort when I take it back to that dull grayscale. And Lent is often like this. You know, we, uh, you give up... I, some uh, give up Dr. Pepper, for instance, which I've done previous years, and and I kind of worked my way back into halfway through Lent this year, and, and you you take a sip of it again, and it's like, wow, this is one really sugary, and two, it, it kind of gives a little bit of heartburn that I really don't need in my life, and so we cultivate through this penance, we cultivate a spirit of detachment from the things of the world, and create a spirit of dependence on God. So my prayer for for me and for you as we approach Easter is that we would maintain that spirit of dependence on God, maintain that spirit of detachment from the world as we pursue the holiness that's made possible by the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus.
So tomorrow is Palm Sunday. Tomorrow we start Holy Week, where we focus on the passion of Jesus Christ. And, and a lot of times when we think about the cross, when we think about Jesus dying on the cross, we think about him dying for our mortal sins, for those big things that we have done that separate us completely from God. And that's why we have the sacrament of confession. Uh, and we go in and we are reunited to the cross and you know, Jesus died to to reconcile us back to God from those big things. And we, we give a pass to our venial sins. We give a pass to those little bad habits, those little things that we continue to do. And, and we don't even really pay attention to them because we know that those are covered at the beginning of Mass when we say the act of contrition, whether it's just the Kyrie eleison or whether it's the um, I confess to Almighty God and the mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. We know that that, that sin is covered uh, by the sacrifice of the Mass. So we, we don't even really sometimes pay it any attention. And I encourage you, I think we talked about this last week as well, go ahead when you go to confession and confess those venial sins because it reveals to us the depth, uh, the, the, how deeply those sins are rooted in our lives, how quickly we return back to them. So we're going to explore this concept just a little bit today. Uh, Elizabeth Scalia wrote a book last year called Little Sins Mean a Lot, Kicking Our Bad Habits Before They Kick Us. Uh, we like to excuse these bad habits, and, and we don't even sometimes like to think of them as sin. But if we're really honest with ourselves, while they may not be those mortal sins that immediately separate us from God, uh, they are the tiny little paper cuts that over time are going to cause infection. They're going to cause something seriously wrong in our spirits and in our souls, and they will cause that same death. It's not as instantaneous uh, it, but it's still there. It's still something that separates us from God. It's something that prevents us from living the life of holiness to which we all are called. So in this book, Elizabeth explores different kinds of these, these very common venial sins that we think are just little things. She explores what their roots are and, and then goes to show us how a prolonged exposure to these things can actually lead us into serious sin. But she doesn't stop there. She's a, a good companion. She's writing this book largely about her own experience with these little sins. Uh, and, and she doesn't stop there. She then explores what the church says about these things and then helps give us some ideas, some practical steps to get out of these little sins and to begin to pursue holiness uh, with great intention. And frankly, this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus died. He didn't just come to die for our sins to forgive us of our sins. He came to die for our sins to free us from our sins and free us from the captivity and slavery of sin and into the life of freedom as a son and a daughter of God. Don't go anywhere. We're going to have this fantastic conversation with Elizabeth Scalia right after this break. Join the conversation on social media. Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls is where you'll find us. Or over on Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and the implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
Here we are. We're almost to Holy Week. Tomorrow we uh, have Palm Sunday, and then uh, then we go to Spy Wednesday, uh, Monday, Thursday, uh, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, when we meet together next, and then Easter. We're here in kind of the, this is the point in the narratives in Scripture where everything ramps up and all the activity begins to happen. And so as we are preparing ourselves for Easter in this Lenten season, it's time for us as well to begin ramping up our own look at our lives, our own introspection as we prepare our hearts to receive God's redeeming power uh, through this this Holy Week coming up. And today we're talking with Elizabeth Scalia. She is a, an author, a blogger, and much more. She blogs over at theanchorist.com. You may have seen her book, Strange Gods, available on Ave Maria Press. We're talking to her today about a book that she put out last year called Little Sins Mean a Lot, How to Kick Your Bad Habits Before They Kick You. And I'll let you know, I I get a lot of books sent to me because of the radio show, Uh, but this is one of those books that when I I saw the title, when I saw the content and what it was about, I actually went out and got a Kindle version of this thing. I've been, I read it on the airplane uh, because I knew I couldn't get it in time for this interview today. Uh, I read it on the way out uh, and the way back over the last few days, and it is so well written. Uh, It's an awful book because it points out everything that I'm doing wrong, and now I have to change it. And so, uh, so Elizabeth Scalia, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's nice to to chat with you, Tim. Thanks for having me. So you mentioned uh, in this book that this was not a book of your own making. Someone approached you and said, uh, hey, why don't you why don't you have a go at this? Talk a little bit about uh, one why you think they came to you, and what was your response when you first started thinking about the concept of this book? Um, I didn't want to do this book at all. Bert Gazy, who um, is retired now, but he's a t- terrific editor, acquisitions editor over at OSV, um, got in touch with me and said, "Hey, I have a title, an idea for a book. Haven't fleshed it out, but it just." seems to me you should be the one to write it. And I said, all right, what's it called? He said, little sins mean a lot. And I laughed because, you know, I I had written Strange Gods. And in that, I do talk a lot about my own failings. And and now I'm thinking, oh, great, he wants a book-length catalog of my failings. And really, he kind of, he, he just gave me the title and said, just do what you think you can with that. And so I resisted for a very long time. I think it took nine months for me to sign the contract. Hmm. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It took about nine months for me to agree to do it. And then it took another, I don't know how long for me to get the contract back to him. And when I finally did, he said, all right, well, you know, you have now eight months to do this. And I said, don't say that. I said, tell me you need it in two weeks. You can have it in two weeks. Otherwise you're going to have it in eight months and two weeks. And, um, cause I'm a writer, writers procrastinate. And he laughed. He thought I was joking. He should have known better. He got <laughs> the book in eight months and two weeks. And the very first chapter of the book, the very first little sin that we talk about is procrastination. Uh, So I figured in honor of Bird, I should at least acknowledge it up front. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what I find fascinating, first of all, we're used to doing the examinations of conscience. We we know that we have to confess our mortal sins. Specifically, as we're in the season of Lent, we know that we're supposed to be taking a look at our failings and, and submitting them to Christ uh, and, and, but we kind of make excuses for ourselves for these little sins, because, you know, we, uh, we don't have to confess those in the confessional. Those get handled in mass. So why do I need to think about it? But you make the connection in this book that our, our little sins, these venial sins that, that we're not too worried about have in their root 
the seven deadly sins, each one of them. Uh, and when we start to look at it in that way, I think it, it changes our perspective in how we approach these things. Yeah. You know how many people have said to me, I hate your book because, uh, you know, I didn't think I was doing too badly until I started realizing that, you know, my procrastination is really, um, you know, a manifestation of sloth or, or even some repressed anger where I'm kicking back and I don't want to do something. Um, and, and I was like, yeah, I know. I hate it too. <laughs> I actually had a time, I had a hard time promoting the book because I was so ambivalent about it because I had to keep facing all the things I was doing wrong. And that doesn't mean this isn't an unpleasant book to read or a chore. It's actually a very funny book in a lot of places. Um, but, but the bottom line is, yes, these, see, we're, we're indoctrinated as a, as a culture. We really come to become indoctrinated with this idea that as long as I'm not doing anything really bad, as long as I'm a good person, it's not that terrible. Um, and we all do this. I, I mean, you, how many times have you said, well, it's not like I kicked a, cu- a puppy. You know, I mean, it's not like I blew up a bridge. I just did this or I just did that. doesn't make me a bad person. We've lowered this bar to what it actually means to be a good or a bad person at this point. Um, you know, and, and in doing so, we've also lowered our whole perception of when we really need to hold ourselves accountable. Um, and, I mean, we even do this in the confessional. I've done it in the confessional, you know, where I'll say, you know, I did this and I did that. But, you know, it really isn't that bad. If you're just joining us, we're talking today with Elizabeth Scalia about her book, Little Sins Mean a Lot, Kicking Our Bad Habits Before They Kick Us, available on our Sunday visitor press, osv.com. I'm reminded there's a, a musician by the name of, of Rich Mullins who has this song where he says, you know, I, I, I'm... I'm not too bad. I, I, I get a little much over-impressed till I think of Peter and Paul and the apostles. And I don't stack up too well against them, I guess, but by the standards around here, I ain't doing that awful. And oh, th- sure. This, this idea that as long as we compare ourselves to, uh, to the market value of what's going on right around us, uh, it's easy to let ourselves off a little bit. Uh, but, yeah. But the yeah. minute we start investing our attention in the lives of the saints and, and to hear how they talk about their own of overcoming these habitual sins, all of a sudden we, we have a spotlight shined on our soul where we say, okay, this is really actually something I have to deal with. Yeah. It's actually one of the reasons, um, Philip Neri, who's one of my favorite saints, uh, continually told people read the lives of the saints. Um, he, he always urged people to do it. Um, both in order to be inspired, but also to to have that higher baseline, to, you know, uh, to work against. Um, instead of constantly being re- reminded of like the lowest common denominator of behavior, which is what we see online, and it's what we see too often in our society more and more lately. Um, you know, Philip Neri's idea was that you know, take take the higher things as as the thing you're comparing yourself to you. At, at your, and, and then you have something to aspire to, and you have, you know, a higher thing uh, in front of you. The problem, of course, is that uh, when you're always reading the lives of the saints, and I read them all the time, uh, you also can fall into the, the, um, the very ego-driven idea that, well, I'll never be that good. Right. You know, and you can kind of sabotage yourself that way. So the whole point <clears throat> about a Christian life and, and living a life of faith and prayer is to try to find that kind of happy medium where 
you're looking at the finer things, you're aspiring to the finer things, but you're not kind of sabotaging yourself. I could never compare myself to St. Therese. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, you know, just, just that's something I'm not going to attain. But I can at least, you know, try to be one of her sisters. You know? right. They did pretty good, too. Um, and, and at least kind of stay away from the whole mentality that, that we're seeing all around us lately. You know, I, I, you know, I just had an idea just before this phone call began, before this, this chat began. Um, I was thinking about upcoming Holy Week, which I think you were talking about also. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Palm Sunday's coming up. And it's such a day of triumph for Christians, uh, you know, in terms of, yay, the Lord's coming into Jerusalem. They're laying down palms in front of him. They're saying Hosanna, you know, and in just a week, all of that's going to change, really in less than a week. And I thought about it in terms of our modern day, you know, and, and particularly the people who are so invested in politics. And they've kind of gotten their religion and their politics intertwined a bit. Right. You know, so they think, oh, you know, and I think I read this because I read something today, somebody saying that uh, the president was put into office by God. And that made me think of, of, of Passion Sunday because I would bet a lot of people thought, yeah, you know, look at this. Look at, look at Jesus coming in on the donkey with the, the palms. This was ordained by God. Um, yes, but then, you know, so was Good Friday. Right. And, and, you know, you needed Good Friday in order to get to Easter Sunday. And I, I really think that a lot of times when people get their politics and their religion confused, they think, well, okay, this president was put there by God. Well, you know, if that's the case, maybe the last one was too. You can't know the mind of God. And if that's true, you know, Good Friday's coming. Right. <laughs> you know? So you better be prepared for it. Well, I, I, I think it's a good argument against triumphalism. Absolutely. And, um, and that's true whether it's, you know, a, a large-scale triumph where you feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself that's winning, or it's, you know, the smaller-scale triumph of, well, I'm not a bad person. You know, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't kill anybody. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, as we going to that, that idea of, of who's put in office by whom we see in uh, Paul talks about in the book of Corinthians that all authority is established by God. And so I think, I think it's important for us to remember whoever is in that if it's a person we like, or we don't like, we still recognize uh, the authority. And we say, you know what? Uh, I may not agree with everything that comes from this person, or I may agree with everything they do. And yet we still submit that person and their leadership uh, and and my own submission to that leadership as that submission to God. Uh, and yeah. I think that also takes away this idea of triumphalism because it puts us in our, in our place that, and I think the way that we aspire to become like the saints is to realize what they realized that everything that I do, uh, I do in, in submission to the, the moment, this moment uh, of my experience with God, you know, the, the detachment from my own expectations and the submission to, uh, to the circumstances that God puts in front of me. Yeah. And you know, that's true all the time. It's true every day in our lives. It, and it's such a hard message to kind of keep in front of us, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, I find this is true even as I'm writing and right now I'm in the process of two really big projects. I have um, major deadlines in May and in April and I'm, I'm really, like, facing headwinds on both of them. And for somebody like me, for whom writing tends to come very easily, 
this is a new and, and horrible challenge. <laughs> you know, it's a new horrible reality. Or, you know, what fresh hell is this? And yet I'm really trying to take this as God giving me a chance to not, to not um, feel quite so triumphalist about things and to not say, well, writing comes easy. Because, you know, maybe it has for some reasons, and maybe there's a reason why I'm being pushed out of my comfort zone right now. But the truth is, you know, if you start thinking writing comes easy for me, you also forget who's the source of that. Right. You know, who's the one who gave any kind of gift you have, if you have a gift at all, who gave it to you? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of looking at this as a very Lenten sort of <laughs> penitential kind of, uh, I, you know, Lord, I needed to put my eyes back on you and stop thinking that I could just sit down and do whatever I needed to do by my own powers and on my own steam, because that's clearly not true. Um, and that's really being brought home to me in a painful way right now, but also a way I'm kind of grateful for. Yeah. We're talking today with Elizabeth Scalia. She blogs over at theanchoress.com. Uh, she's the author of the book Strange Gods. You may know about that from Ave Maria Press. But today we're talking about her book, Little Sins Mean a Lot, Kicking Our Bad Habits Before They Kick Us, available on our Sunday visitor, osv.com. Join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at outside the walls. Throughout the week, I'll be posting examinations of conscience to help us as we prepare for Easter. Don't go too far. We'll be right back right after this with much more. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we're talking with Elizabeth Scalia about a book she put out last year called Little Sins Mean a Lot, How to Kick Your Bad Habits Before They Kick You, available on our Sunday visitor press, uh, osv.com. And I tell you, the uh, the book is every bit as funny as the um, as the subtitle there. You're, you're in the middle of this chapter uh, of whatever the chapter happens to be, and it's convicting, and you're, you're hearing some fantastic information, uh, hearing some stories, and then all of a sudden there's this, this gem of, uh, of laughter where you turn the story maybe back on yourself a little bit. Uh, and so my wife has read like half the book because I keep stopping and, and pointing and saying, read, read this paragraph. Uh, and so... Uh, as people are uh, coming to this book and maybe thinking, oh gosh, you're going to tell me everything I've done wrong, really for the most part, you you turn the mirror on yourself and show people what you've come through and how you've experienced these little sins for the most part. Uh, and then I love how you end up the chapter because you you pull quotes from the saints and you pull quotes from the catechism to talk about what does the church say about this little sin and then you end it with a prayer of how do we get out of this thing? Uh, so talk to me a little bit about maybe uh, the the little sin that you came across in writing this that probably stung the hardest as you were uh, examining how do I write about this and, and keeping myself in mind. Oh, boy. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. The book does mostly talk about me, and it's not <laughs> its not because I'm my favorite subject. But <laughs> really, who wants to read a book that's telling you about you? 
Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing worse than having to sit there and listen to somebody indict you over and over again. Um, easier for me to indict myself because, you know, I I am addicted to these little sins. They are really, you know, bad habits. And, and it's really interesting, you know, people say, well, what's the difference between a little sin and a bad habit? And that's something that Teresa of Avila kind of uh, addressed when she said, don't let your sins become bad habits. Don't let your bad habits become sins. And and you say, well, what's the difference between one and the other? And the first one could be, um, you know, you've missed mass, okay, you screwed up, but don't let that become a bad habit, as opposed to you're out in the fields and you're you're thinking about something wonderful and you don't hear the bells calling you back into to prayer, and that's where you've literally uh, become too detached, and now this becomes a sin, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, uh, there are distinctions to be made like that. I'm not much of a gossip, so writing the gossip when I was able to write more from um, – from the perspective of, of having observed other people gossiping. But, I mean, I was raised with judgment and suspicion. I was raised with gloominess and griping. Um, so those things were very easy for me to write and and to really pull it out of myself, so to speak. So let's talk about those three chapters in specific, gossip and, and gloominess and griping and judgment and suspicion, because those three seem to be very well exemplified in our everyday lives in social media. It's like that's the modus operandi for getting onto social media is to, uh, to talk about other people or to, to be generally uh, unhappy with the, the lot in life that we experience. Um, how do you see, you know, beyond us individually all taking and picking up the book and buying it, which you all should do, osv.com, uh, how do we begin in, of, in and of ourselves to impact not just our own lives, but the culture at large in the way that it interacts with these specific sins? Well, it's really interesting. I mean, gossip, we don't think of gossip as a sin at all anymore, and yet it's something that's just absolutely pervasive, and it's an industry. We don't think about it as being an industry. One of the things that I, I kind of came to realize, I was thinking about Kim Kardashian and, and how she is mind gossip in a way that I've never seen done before. I mean, she's, she has a career because she's someone who doesn't do anything and yet has managed to become famous. Um, and it's, it's brilliant in a way because she's, we're always going to gossip. Gossip is always going to be a commodity, and as long as she's willing to make herself that commodity, we'll be gossiping about her and talking about her until she's 70 years old. Um, and yet, because we have this kind of entertainment reality TV talking about everyone um, and putting out judgments on them and feeling that we're perfectly free to because she's put herself out there, you know, and she's invited this gossip. Uh, We start to think that we can do that to anybody at any time. And um, there's almost nothing worse. There's nothing more insidious. You know, George Harrison called it, you know, the devil's radio. Um, and it's perfectly true. Gossip is so damaging, not just to the person we're talking about, but to the society at large and, of course, to our own souls. And if you want to bring that down into a little microcosm, um, you know, think about it at work. You go into work and you're at a meeting and someone is saying, oh, you know, blah, 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 does he have that? And you're like, well, no, he's got this thing going on in his life. And the next person pipes up and goes, oh, yeah, I heard such and such. And then somebody else goes, yeah, and, and you know, this other thing. And before you know it, you're having a long conversation about somebody who's not there mm-hmm. and you're discussing his business and you're putting it all out there. And it's never good. 
Um, right. And we do that all the time. We do it with our, our friends. We do it when we're talking at parties. It just, you know, it's, it's become intrinsic to us in a really damaging way. Um, and that's why in the book, you know, I, I talk about that, but then, yeah, we go into what does the church say about this? What do saints say about gossiping? And I always loved what um, Pope Francis said, and it was really early in his pontificate when he said, you know, I don't know why it is, but there's a kind of dark joy Mm-hmm. to gossip, and we all indulge into it, um, and and sometimes we begin by saying nice things about another, then we slip into gossip, and I just thought that phrase, that, <clears throat> excuse me, the dark joy, was so perfect, because it really is that kind of buzz, buzz, I feel so good talking about this other person, you know, in this way, um, and I have a friend, actually, she and I that's our buzzword at this point. If we ever do find ourselves, maybe we're talking on the phone or something, we find ourselves feeling that dark joy, one of us will say, hey, this feels a bit like dark joy. I'm enjoying this too much, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, let's, let's call this, you know, cut this conversation short. And, you know, we've done that also at work. You know, we'll be in a meeting and the same sort of thing. We'll look at each other and say, you know, dark joy. <laughs> and we'll try to change the direction of the meeting, you yeah. know, without making a big without making a big lecturing, hectoring deal about it to anybody else. Right. But at the same token, if you are at a meeting and you see that's going on, and particularly if you feel yourself being pulled into it, uh, you know, it's not a bad thing to say, you know what, this is starting to feel like gossip. Let's just say a prayer for this guy and move on. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's really, the, nothing cuts it short better than that. If you're just joining us, we're talking today with Elizabeth Scalia about her book, Little Sins Mean a Lot. And, you know, it, this chapter was actually quite enlightening to me because we tend to think of, of gossip and equate it with calumny, that we're telling, uh, telling someone something that's not true about someone else. Uh, and, and yet, really, we don't tend to think of um, uh, talking about someone we don't know, like Kim Kardashian, as gossip, even though the action is ex- exactly the same as if we were talking about someone we know. Uh, and what really stood out to me uh, about this is how it poisons uh, our whole perspective about the dignity of the human person, that, uh, that this other person has dignity because of who they were uh, created by and, and in whose image they are created. And, and beyond that, uh, it, I've been reading a, a few things uh, from the church recently, and one of those things that, that uh, reading a statement from the bishops talking about uh, the right of the, uh, the human person not only to... Uh, to maintain the dignity, but the right of the person to a good reputation, that we keep our mouths shut because that person deserves a good reputation. Yeah, and also, what are we doing to our own reputations when we're engaging in the gossip? You know, we don't think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we don't really think about how, while we're busy buzzing along with everybody else, we're really showing ourselves in a very unattractive light, and we're showing ourselves at our most kind of malicious and despicable um, in a way. So we're not, we're not doing much for our own dignity mm-hmm. in that respect. And unfortunately, the thing about gossip is that it just leads us into the very next, um, you know, the next kind of little sin, which is judgment and suspicion. Because it, it, you almost can't help it. Once you start gossiping about someone, um, then you start getting into judging that behavior. That's, that's like the byproduct of gossip. Well, um, we, ha- we have and, a way in the church to... Uh, to- kind of justify and, and spiritualize and, and so quote unquote sanctify our gossip by saying, 
oh, well, I have a prayer request for this person. Have you heard what's going on in their life? Ah, oh, that's <laughs> awful. <laughs> and so we have to realize, hey, there is a way that we can we can lift that person up in prayer and even ask for prayers on their behalf without, you know, dragging them through through our uh, proverbial mud, as it were. Right, because as soon as you start doing that, you open up the doorway to start um, entertaining judgment and suspicion. And, and then, of course, forming all kinds of, you know, backgroundish sort of ideas and making precarious connections that might not even exist except in our imagination. You know, and this is, I mean, you were talking about social media earlier. This is like the, the M.O., of the sickness of social media because it always goes from gossip right into judgment and suspicion and conspiracy theories, right. you know, and, and, um, I heard, I read somebody the other day talking about how today, today is, um, the 22nd of March, 322. And for some conspiracy groups, and I have no idea who they are, that means look for a false flag operation to happen today. Uh, because it's some kind of, I mean, it's just like these people are whacked out. They believe this. Mm-hmm. You know, and they absolutely believe that something bad is going to happen on certain days because those are days where the government puts up false operations and so forth to distract people's attention from something that's going on. And, I mean, it's insane. And you don't get there from nowhere. You get there from, you know, talking about things you really don't know about and then letting your imagination add details you really don't have and make connections that you don't know are true. And then before you know it, you're off in, in, you know, conspiracy land, whether it's about the government or about your neighbor, about your husband, you know, and you start thinking, what's the worst thing that you could possibly think about that person? You're, you're headed there. Right. And, you know? and, and it's just so important for us uh, as Christians, as Catholics, to, to be preferring the other person and to be looking at them and saying, what's, what's the best light I can interpret this situation in instead of what's the, what's, the, what's the worst possible situation that they could have gotten themselves involved in? Which is where we jump to so often. And, and yes, I mean, I, everybody deserves the benefit of a doubt. And it behooves us, and, it, and it's better for our souls. Um, it is medicine for our souls to think the, worst, the, the best about someone else. Um, and give somebody the benefit of the doubt rather than immediately going to the negative. You know, if somebody proves us wrong, well, then they proved us wrong. That doesn't indict us. Right. You know, you, you can't go wrong by thinking the best of someone. You think you can because then ego gets into it and you think, oh, well, now I look foolish for thinking the best of someone. But again, that's not really your problem. Right. You know, be a fool for Christ. Think the best of somebody else. We've been talking today with Elizabeth Scalia. She's got this book, came out last year. It is fantastic. Go right now. Uh, You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on osv.com, our Sunday visitor. It's called Little Sins Mean a Lot, Kicking Our Bad Habits Before They Kick Us. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, it's great talking to you. There's more of this interview with Elizabeth Scalia available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and find access to all kinds of extra content. Don't go anywhere. There's a lot more that we're going to talk about today as we prepare ourselves to experience Holy Week, to live out this week of the Passion of Christ so that we can celebrate more fully the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is our salvation. Join us over on Facebook, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. We're talking about Holy Week. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we've been talking with Elizabeth Scalia. She blogs over at theanchorist.com. She's also a, a very prolific author. Uh, she wrote Strange Gods for Ave Maria Press. We've been talking to her today about her book, Little Sins Mean a Lot, How to Kick Our Bad Habits Before They Kick Us. Uh, that's through our Sunday visitor, osv.com. And she's currently working on a book right now that is a deconstruction of the Memorare, line by line, kind of explaining it. Uh, and that's one I'm looking forward to. Uh, it's the one that she mentioned earlier. She's having a little bit of trouble with, but at the same time, that little bit of trouble uh, reminded her uh, to then go and approach God and ask for help. I do kind of think it's funny uh, that you would have trouble with uh, writing a book about a prayer that's completely based on going and asking for help. Uh, <laughs> never was it known that anyone who sought thy protection was left unaided. So uh, say a memorare or two for Elizabeth Scalia as she continues to write that book uh, and be looking for it on Ave Maria Press in the very near future. Now, there's more to my conversation with Elizabeth Scalia. Each week, I like to ask my guest an extra question or two and to give that to those people who support the show through Patreon. And Patreon allows me uh, each week to take the time out of my week and record the show for you. Uh, and those people who do support the show get all kinds of extra content, uh, little sneak peeks behind the scenes and, and extra questions. And you can find that information. You can become a supporter of the show and get the extra content by going over to OutsideTheWalls.com. And in the menu bar, you click Support the Show, Patreon, that Patreon link, and it will take you to the page with all the extra content and give you the opportunity to support the show and to get access to that content. Well, let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Uh, we're going to read today from the, today's reading, the first reading out of the book of Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God, I will take the children of Israel from among the nations to which they have come and gather them from all sides to bring them back to their land. I will make them one nation upon the land in the mountains of Israel, and there shall be one prince for them all. Never again shall they be two nations, and never again shall they be divided into two kingdoms. No longer shall they defile themselves with their idols, their abominations, and all their transgressions. I will deliver them from all their sins of apostasy and cleanse them so that they may be my people and I may be their God. My servant David shall be prince over them, and there shall be one shepherd for them all. They shall live by my statutes and carefully observe my decrees, they shall live on the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where their fathers lived. They shall live on it forever, they and their children and their children's children, with my servant David, their prince, forever. I will make with them a covenant of peace. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will multiply them and put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling shall be with them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Thus the nation shall know that it is I, the Lord, who make Israel holy, when my sanctuary shall be set up among them forever. That reading comes from the book of Ezekiel, and this is God promising to live with us, to send his Holy Spirit among us, to dwell in us and with us, and this is the promise that he fulfills to us each and every day. 
you and I have a call to be holy. In this passage, he promises to free the people, to forgive the people, but then it also says, no longer shall they defile themselves with their idols, their abominations, and their transgressions. Now, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and only by God's redeeming power, we are able to go forth and sin no more, because Christ would not call us to something we couldn't do, right? And he told told the woman caught in adultery, he says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Uh, So now he's come to us and brought us healing and looks to us and says, now go out, go go in the power of the resurrection and sin no more. And so we take these little sins that have so captured us and we say, okay, God, I give them up. I recognize my dependence on you. Help me to live a life of holiness. Our reading from Church History Today comes from a homily by St. Gregory Nazianzen. We are soon going to share in the Passover, and although we still do so in only a symbolic way, the symbolism already has more clarity than it possessed in former times, because under the law, the Passover was, if I may dare to say so, only a symbol of a symbol. Before long, however, when the word drinks the new wine with us in the kingdom of his Father, we shall be keeping the Passover in a yet more perfect way and with deeper understanding. He will then reveal to us and make clear what he has so far only partially disclosed. For this wine, so familiar to us now, is eternally new. It is for us to learn what this drinking is and for him to teach us. He has to communicate this knowledge to his disciples because teaching is food, even for the teacher. So let us take our part in the Passover prescribed by the law, not in a literal way, but according to the teaching of the gospel, not in an imperfect way, but perfectly, not only for a time, but eternally. Let us regard as our home the heavenly Jerusalem, not the earthly one, the city glorified by angels, not the one laid waste by armies. We are not required to sacrifice young bulls or rams, beasts with horns and hooves that are more dead than alive and devoid of feeling. But instead, let us join the choirs of angels in offering God upon his heavenly altar a sacrifice of praise. We must now pass through the first veil, and approach the second, turning our eyes toward the Holy of Holies. I will say more. We must sacrifice ourselves to God each day and in everything we do, accepting all that happens to us for the sake of the Word, imitating His passion by our sufferings and honoring His blood by shedding our own. We must be ready to be crucified. If you are a Simon of Cyrene, take up your cross and follow Christ. If you are crucified beside him like one of the thieves, now, like the good thief, acknowledge your God. For your sake and because of your sin, Christ himself was regarded as a sinner. For his sake, therefore, you must cease to sin. Worship him who was hung on the cross because of you even if you are hanging there yourself. Derive some benefit from the very shame 
Purchase salvation with your death. Enter paradise with Jesus and discover how far you have fallen. Contemplate the glories there and leave the other scoffing thief to die outside in his blasphemy. If you are a Joseph of Arimathea, go to the one who ordered his crucifixion and ask for Christ's body. Make your own the expiation for the sins of the whole world. If you are a Nicodemus, like the man who worshipped God by night, bring spices and prepare Christ's body for burial. If you are one of the Marys or Salome or Joanna, weep in the early morning. Be the first to see the stone rolled back, and even the angels, perhaps, and Jesus himself. That reading comes from a homily by St. Gregory Nazianzen. And, you know, we I don't know that we often put ourselves in the passion narrative, or if we do, we put ourselves in the narrative right alongside the crowd calling for his death. And that's a good place for us. Uh, and in fact, when we do the readings in the Mass, uh, that's the part that we take up and we read out loud because we have to remember that those who Christ came to save are the very people who condemned him to death. And yet, we can also find ourselves in the other players and the other uh, characters and the other personalities that surrounded the Passion. And so this week, uh, tomorrow being Palm Sunday, as we go into Holy Week, start to ask God this Holy Week, this season, what part you have to play in the Passion. Are you going through something that feels like your very death? Then be that thief on the cross and give Christ glory. Do you feel like you have something to offer to the church? Then carry someone's cross for them. Bear their burdens. Perhaps like Joseph of Arimathea or like Nicodemus, you have either resources or, or financial provision. Then, then go and make provision for someone else who doesn't have it. Take the time, spend some time in prayer, and ask the Holy Spirit as you're spending time contemplating the, the passion narrative. Ask yourself and ask the Holy Spirit, who am I? What position am I in? How can I help? How can I contribute to caring for Christ in the midst of his suffering? Uh, not only the suffering that he experiences on the cross, but the suffering that he currently experiences uh, in the poor. Just like Matthew 25 says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do it to Christ. But whoever we are, let's be like Mary and Salome and Joanna and seek Christ early in the morning to care for his needs so that we can be the first to see the stone rolled back, to see the angels, and to see Christ himself. That's all the time we have for this week. Today's show is brought to you by Ryan and Sarah Jepson and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link for details. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.